As we do turn our attention to the Word of God today, uh, you know, as, as we know, our habit here is to walk through books of the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and, and seeing what God's Word says and just unpacking that and unfolding that. 95% of the time, that's what we're doing. Today, again, we're in the midst of this series it's, where it's a little bit unusual. We're kind of out of that habit just for a brief period of time. Right now, we're in the middle of a sermon series covering themes and concepts called of ecclesiology. Of course, that's the study of the church. We are seeking to establish a biblical form of church polity, as it is called, the, the governance of the church, how we will relate to one another as a church. And so we're seeking to examine the Scriptures together to see what God's Word has to say on these things that we may be a biblically organized church body. Today's sermon is is really kind of part lesson or lecture, part argument and part sermon, and we're going to kind of move through that together as we progress along today. I suppose in some ways it's good, hey, we... We're well rested, right? We had the time change and we fell back, so we got the extra time, right? We're all feeling good. Well, well I do have pictures as we move along too, so hopefully that'll help. You know, last week I shared that in some ways, I kind of feel like this may be one of the most important series I've ever taught through. And the more I think about it, the more I've, and the more I've come to consider that, I think that may be true. Because I do pray earnestly that God would use this series, that God would use His Word as we move through this series to help set the trajectory for the structure of pillar fellowship and how we will function as a church body. And my hope and prayer is that we will embrace a biblical structure, not because Pastor Ken says that this is what is right, but because we've examined the Scriptures together and see from the Word of God, yes, this is what's right for us. And this is what we will pursue. So with that as the backdrop, here's how I'm liking to approach our time together today. First, I'd like to go over just some common ways that churches are often organized and structured. That's, That's kind of the lesson or the lecture part of things. Then I'd like to walk through some biblical texts to determine, hey, which which of these approaches seems to be the most biblical approach? That will be the argument portion. And then I'd like to conclude by answering the question, what are elders? What are elders supposed to do? What's their role within the life of the church? And that's the part where I get to preach in a bit. So for now, let's start with some common church polity structures as we just consider just some common things that are in our culture, what's, what's around us in the world today. There's a polity structure called Episcopal Church Structure. The word Episcopal comes from the Greek word episkopos, and it can be translated as bishop or overseer in our Bibles. Well, this model of governance, you might have someone who might be called a priest or they might be called a pastor. Um, and and if, there's a, if there's a hierarchy that exists, you know, there might be individual priests or individuals at the lower levels that are just kind of overseeing their individual church. But then as you kind of move up the chain, you have bishops who are responsible for not just their own church, but also the churches underneath them in their pyramid of sorts there. So, but 
if you were to think, okay, what, what churches that I know follows after this structure, what would come to mind? The Roman Catholic Church, yeah. The Pope is actually the Bishop of Rome in the Roman Catholic Church system, and he oversees all of everything. And then you've got the different bishops and the different, uh, different um, dioceses and places around and, and things of that nature. And so that's, that is that, but it's not just the Roman Catholic Church that uses this structure. This is the Episcopal form, so surprise, surprise, Episcopal <laughs> churches. <laughs> they, they have this church structure as well. But also... If you, so a lot of times this is viewed denominationally, if you just were to zoom in on just one of these situations and, and view it as an independent church, many independent fundamentalist Baptist churches could be said to be structured in this way where you have the pastor and he's kind of in charge over everything and what he says goes. That would actually be a, a, an Episcopal form of church government. Next, we have a Presbyterian form of government, and this is, we have multiple churches, and, and you have a plurality of leadership, a plurality of elders at each church. When the Presbyterian denominations are formed, they, they, they form themselves into these groups called sessions, and you usually will have one elder from each church that will sit on the session and so you have this, this, uh, this committee based of, of elders from each church that will kind of rule over and preside over all of the churches within their session. So that is a, a Presbyterian form of church governance in a denominational sense. Once again, this can be true and be applied even on an individual local church, independent church level. So you look at up on the screen there, that green church, let's just say they're an independent church. They're actually not associated with a Presbyterian denomination, but they practice what is called a Presbyterian form of church governance, where there's a plurality of elders overseeing the life of the church. No surprise, once again, the Presbyterians observe a Presbyterian form of church governance but it's not just limited to Presbyterians. There are independent churches that function this way as well, minus the session idea. There's a third kind of church governance structure, which would be called a congregational. In a congregational church governance, there's, there may be leaders within the church, there may be elders, and there may be a pastor, but really the, the, the locus of power is really concentrated within the the congregation itself, within the, the members of the church. There's often a lot of voting in these kinds of churches, from everything from, you know, the color of the choir robes or the church carpet to missionary support and budget items and, and what kind of, you know, what different things, the calling of pastors and things of that nature. It's a congregational form of government where just about everything is voted on. And, and again, sometimes a congregational church will have elders. Sometimes they'll have a pastor, but the question is, where, where does the seat of authority end up resting in? And it is vested within the members of the church itself. And so those are, those are broad strokes, just common forms of church governance, common forms of, 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 of church structure. What I'd like to do now is zoom in a little bit and consider how some of these flesh themselves out practically within some independent churches, even like our own. So some independent churches will function like this, where you have, there's, it's called a single elder model. You'll have 
the pastor who is the elder of the church, and he's, he's kind of in charge. He's calling the shots. He might have some different guys that might be in different places underneath him. They might be called deacons, and sometimes some churches will add another office and call them trustees. But, you, but really, the guy in charge is the pastor. Like, he is the senior pastor. That's the dude. He's calling the shots. What he says goes, he's the man. And everybody else underneath him functions to accomplish whatever he says is right and whatever he would like to see accomplished within the church. Just yesterday, I was speaking with an individual who uh, used to be a part of a church like this, and, and they had a gym, and they would use this gym for, uh, for like competitive basketball games within the community and things. And, and this one uh, pastor of this church would have a habit of every time they were about to have a game, he would call a revival service. And he would take over the gym and have to cancel the games and teams that would be traveling from out of state or whatever, they'd have to go home. And this whole big thing, well, the pastor's calling the shots. You know, he's the one in charge. And so uh, that's just how the way it worked. And so that's, that's a single elder model. Uh, and again, this is actually an Episcopal format where you've got the guy, one dude up top, he's in charge and everyone else listens to him. I think sometimes there are some megachurches that function in this way. Sometimes they think of like the pastor as like the CEO type of idea. He's the guy. He's in charge. It's his vision. It's his ideas. And whatever he says, that's what we're here to accomplish. That's what we're here to do. And so people underneath him might be hired or they might be lay people. It can be set up in different ways. Other churches have a plurality of elders, and often they are selected from the congregation as lay elders, but often you have the lay elders, and then you still have the pastor, and the pastor is kind of viewed as a notch above, even though if you might open up their, their, uh, their constitution and see how it's structured, the pastor would be considered one of the elders, but uh, you know, the pastor is still kind of viewed just a little bit of a notch above. Uh, often in the structure, uh, the, the elders, they function much like a board would for maybe like a not-for-profit organization. They exist to, to execute the pastor's vision. They have the title of elder and maybe even the constitution. They have some levels of authority and things, but really they're just there to, to listen to what the pastor has to say. He's the elder. He's sometimes called the first among equals, and so he's elevated a little bit. And it's understandable in some ways. He's, he's the guy that's got the training, right? He's been to seminary. He's got the theological education. He's got the, the skill set and the desires and all of these things. And so he's just kind of elevated. He's an elder, but he's also the pastor. And so it's kind of viewed that way. Then there are other churches that are led by a plurality of elders, but the pastor is a notch below. He's kind of viewed not so much as like the pastor, but he's the guy we've hired to preach for us. We're the elders, we're calling the shots, we're in charge, and we've hired you to do a job and we can fire you tomorrow kind of idea. And so the elders... They're the ones calling the shots, and the pastor is just kind of there to do whatever the elders say to do. So he's kind of, there's a plurality of elders, but the pastor is a notch below. The elders are the ones setting the agenda and the direction for the church. With each of these last couple of things that we've looked at, in each scenario, especially with these last two, technically speaking, the, the pastor is one of the elders, but there's still a bifurcation 
there. There's still a division between these two offices. They're almost, he's technically one of the elders, but it's still almost viewed as if it's a separate office. Well, there's one more model that we could look at, and that would be something like this. A plurality model that sees every elder as a pastor and every pastor as an elder. What many would call a, a senior pastor might be like a staff elder, like it's, it, he might be hired, he might be, you know, brought in to, to, to lead in this way and to preach and to do these things, but, but really, it doesn't mean that the rest of the elders don't have responsibility over the, over the flock, they don't have responsibility for the well-being of the church. All of them together are tasked with the shepherding responsibility, and they may have different roles, Right? You've got the staff, or maybe sometimes in some of these models, it's, it's the teaching elder or the teaching pastor. And then you've got the lay pastors or the lay elders that have different roles and responsibilities, but they all embrace this idea together that we are all pastors, we are all shepherds, and we all have responsibility over the church. And so every elder is a pastor, and every pastor is an elder. Now, that's the lesson-slash-lecture portion of our time together today. What I'd like to do now is shift into the argument portion, where I'm trying to lay down a case for us biblically that this is really the biblical approach to church leadership. In order to demonstrate that this is the biblical model, I need to show from Scripture that elders and pastors really are the same office, and that a plurality of elders is to be preferred. Because if we go back to that first uh, scenario where there's the single pastor, single elder model, they view the pastor and the elder as the same office, but there's just one guy. Whereas in this model, there's a plurality. So I need to demonstrate from Scripture that it is indeed the same office and that plurality is preferred. And so here is the case for that. Do you believe that elders are pastors and pastors are elders? Throughout the Scripture, there are three words that are used to describe what I believe is one church office. We have the word pastor, we have the word elder, uh, word elder and then we have the word overseer. And I'm going to get a little bit technical for us this morning, but it's important because we're going to see from the Scripture how this helps us see that this is the same office. The word for pastor is the Greek word poimenos, and it can be literally translated as pastor or shepherd. When we're talking about a literal shepherd who's literally tending literal sheep, that's the word that's used. It's a, it's a poimenos, it's a shepherd, it's a, it's a pastor. Scripture speaks of the church of God as being a flock, figuratively, and the individuals as being sheep. Pastors are to shepherd the flock. It speaks of a tender care for the spiritual needs of the sheep, but also the guarding against wolves that would come in against the church. The second word, elder, is presbuteros. This is the word we get the word presbyterian. comes from the Greek word for elder. The concept comes from a little bit, uh, some of the Jewish concept of the Jewish elders are kind of brought in here. Uh, The Jewish elders were individuals who were recognized within the community because of their character and their wisdom. So they're like, these are the elders of our community, people that were respected, people that were thought highly of because of their character 
and their wisdom. Not all elders are older, but they still ought to be men of character and wisdom. And the third word that is used, the word for overseer, comes from the Greek word episkopos, which again, we can figure out, oh yes, episcopal, that's where the word episcopal comes from. This word has more of a stress on the functional oversight responsibility of the leaders of the church. They are to oversee the work. They're to administrate it and to to take care for it and attend over it. Our American church culture often kind of gets these words. We think of the pastor as being one thing and the elder as being another thing, and we kind of view those as separate things. But the biblical picture is that these three words that are often used interchangeably, and we're going to look at a few texts where that is the case. Here's a few examples. Acts chapter 20, in this passage, uh, Paul is calling the elders of the church as he's about to give them uh, the final instruction before going to Jerusalem where he knows he's going to be imprisoned. And so he's given the final charge of the church. These are important things that you must know, and he calls the elders together to give them this instruction. So we see in Acts 20, 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Now we're going to skip down to verse 28, and Paul, who is still speaking to the same men, the elders, the presbyteros, he's going to say this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episkopos, the, the presbyteros are to be Episcopos, he's made you overseers to care for the church of God. And that word care is the Greek word for shepherd. To poimenos is the verb form of shepherd. So the elders, the presbyteros, are to oversee episcopos and they are to poimenos. They are to be pastors. They are to shepherd the church. All three words used in the same context. Likewise, we see something similar in 1 Peter chapter 5. Paul writes, I exhort the elders among you, that's presbyteros, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd, poimenos, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, episkopos, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Elders, presbyteros, are to shepherd, poimenos, exercising oversight, episkopos. They're the same men in the same office, functioning according to what Paul and Peter have given instruction to do. So, we shouldn't be dividing up like the, the office and with the understanding of, well, we have the elders of the church and we have the pastor and they're kind of separate things. Like, no. Pastors are elders and elders are pastors. Elders are to shepherd. They are to pastor. Pastors are to be overseers. It's the same men functioning in these specific ways. Now, again, some might say, okay, we get it. Pastor, elder, same thing, same office. But hey, maybe it should just be one, a single elder, single pastor model. So, move on to the second point of 
the argument where plurality is preferred. Plurality of elders is the preferred model. The reality is, is that there is ample evidence that leads us to conclude that there ought to be a plurality of biblically qualified men serving in leadership as pastors, elders, overseers. It's the biblical model. I'm just going to throw, I'm going to throw four passages at us to see this reality as it unfolds, but there's more that we are not even going to look at today. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, we see this, when they had appointed elders, plural elders, for them in every singular church. Multiple elders serving in one singular church. We looked at this passage already earlier, but in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, we see the same thing. He called the elders from Ephesus, the one church that was in Ephesus, he called all the elders. Multiple elders, one church. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remained in order and appoint elders, plural, in every town. And in those days, there was the church for each city and each town, right? Multiple elders, one church. Finally, last passage, James five fourteen. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over them. And again, these aren't all the texts. There are other texts that show this reality that there should be multiple elders, preferably. And I say preferably because we have to ask the question, okay, does that mean that, that churches who only have one elder, does that mean they're on biblical churches? And the answer to that question is, well, maybe, <laughs> but maybe not. Like, we, we need more information. It may be that a church genuinely does not have qualified men to serve in this capacity, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 lays out the qualifications that, that if these men are to serve in this office, this is what their lives ought to look like. And we can't deviate from that. And Paul is very clear that it is better, it is better not to have plurality of elders than to have unqualified men in office. And so, if you have a situation where you have a church where there are not sufficient qualified men to where you can have a plurality of elders... It would be best not to have plurality of elders, lest you have an unqualified man in a position he ought not to be. But it does become the responsibility of the leadership that does exist to identify leaders, to train them up, to be spiritually mature such that there would be someday qualified leaders and install them into the office. And that process should be a lengthy process as you go through that, as you seek to train and disciple and, and see these men growing in their abilities to, to be qualified for the office. And if these men are to be responsible for the souls of those within the church, then everyone should want to see biblically qualified men in that office. Right, these, these have a responsibility over the souls of the people. We can't run the risk of putting unqualified men in office when they're responsible for our souls, right? That would be foolish. So we must give careful consideration to the qualifications that we find in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and 1 Peter 5. So that is the, the argument as laid forth. Pastors are elders, and elders are pastors, and we can throw the word overseer in there. We don't really use that word much in our common church structure, overseer, but it is a biblical word. 
As we consider now this, this third portion of our time together this morning, I, I do want us to consider, okay, this is elders are pastors, el, uh, pastors are elders, elders are pastors, okay, there should be a plurality, okay, well, well what are they supposed to do? Well, what's their purpose? What's their function? What is their role within the church? We're going to see that the responsibility of all elders, pastors, whether that's paid, full-time elder pastors, or lay, unpaid elder pastors, whatever the situation, the responsibility of all of them is to, one, guard the flock, two, feed and equip the sheep, and three, shepherd their souls. In many ways here, in many ways here this morning, I'm I'm the pastor of Pillar Fellowship, right? I'm, I'm here, I'm preaching, I'm an elder, preaching for the benefit. In, in many ways, I'm preaching to myself, like, like this, is, this is my responsibility before God. This is what the Word of God has to say about my position as a pastor. But I'm also preaching here for, for the benefit of, of anyone who might hear this, either today or through recording at any time, whoever may desire the office of elder... And I'm preaching this for the benefit of our whole church, that we should all know what the biblical standards are for our leaders. This is what we should expect from our leaders. This is what we should expect from our pastors, from our elders. And this is what we need to hold our leaders accountable to. Pastor elders, they are to guard the flock. And and turn with me, if you would, over to Acts chapter 20. We've been in this passage a little bit already. I just want to spend a little bit more time here unpacking what Paul said to the elders in Ephesus. Again, this is Paul. He's on his way to Jerusalem when he knows he will be arrested. He gives his final exhortation to the Ephesian church, his final charge to them. We're going to pick things up in verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he says, Now pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his, with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The elders, the pastors, they're to care for the church by paying careful attention to themselves making sure that they're not getting drawn away by false doctrine or getting caught up in sin themselves. But for all the flock, pay careful attention for all the flock. He says fierce wolves will come in. I don't know if you realize this, but there are people in this world who want you. And I don't say that in the warm, fuzzy, oh, hey, he wants me kind of way. Well, they want to pray upon you and pray upon your souls. They want your money. They want you under their control. 
They want to seek to gain these things by speaking what he says, what Paul says right here. They're speaking twisted things. There's truth, and truth is straight as an arrow, but they twist it. So it sounds like it might be true, but there's an angle there. There's a twisting of the truth there. So we have to pay careful attention. We have to be alert, be on guard against these things. This is why one of the qualifications that we find in Titus chapter 1, verse 9 is this, where, where Paul says that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. The pastor elder must know the Word of God, and he must be able to articulate the truth of the Scriptures, and he must be able to confront and correct those who would contradict the truth of the Word of God. I remember shortly after I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I was at a prayer meeting at my alma mater, Bible College in Kansas City, Missouri. There was a student there on campus who at the time, he was involved in different things. Uh, but I got into a discussion with him one day, and, and he began to express some ideas that sounded strange, but as we kind of progressed in the discussion further, it, it began to come out that, that this guy believed that all religions were essentially a road to the same place, that Christians, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, whatever, we're all worshiping the same God by different names in different places and different emphases. We know biblically that is erroneous, Right? There's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved, amen? That's, that is Jesus Christ and Him alone. There's no other way unto the Father. Jesus says, there's no way to the Father but through me, through Jesus Christ. That is it. It was shocking for me to hear that from a student at a very conservative Bible college. He needed to be corrected. He needed to be rebuked. He needed to be shown from the Word of God his error. And to this day, I, I don't really know what has ever happened to that individual. He was speaking twisted things that were false. And he was seeking to influence other students at the school for those purposes. A pastor, an elder, must guard the flock against false doctrine, guard against false things and false ideas of the world. Second responsibility of pastor elders is to feed and equip the saints. Flip with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and 2 Timothy is Paul's final scriptural letter that he ever wrote as he was anticipating his own death, knowing that, that his execution would be coming soon. He wrote this letter to Timothy as his final instructions, his final charge to Timothy to be a faithful pastor elder in the church where he was. At the end of chapter 3, he, he just got done laying out this wonderful doctrine that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Why? For what purpose? That we may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so on the basis of that information, he gives these words to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I charge you. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is the responsibility of the pastor, of the elders, of the church, to preach the Word, to teach the Word of God faithfully. Pillar Fellowship, if there's ever a time when I stand at this pulpit and I declare to you anything that's contrary to the Word of God, you can fire me. (laughs) Do it. Like, be done with it. We must preach the Word of God. Not self-help TED Talks, not pastor story hour, not the whims of whatever direction the winds of the culture are blowing of the day. Preach the Word. It says to reprove. It means to bring things to light, to show things from the Scripture, things that are true and exposing realities. Rebuke, it means to call out false teaching or false behavior from the Word of God. To exhort, it means to appeal, to live according to the Word, to live what God's Word has to say. And the pastor elder is to do this with patience, knowing that we're all in different stages of our Christian maturity, in different, different places in our walk with Christ. And so he is to be patient as he instructs and feeds the sheep. We don't have time to go into it, but I would be remiss if I did not at least mention Ephesians chapter 4. You might write that reference down and look to it later. In this text, Paul says that pastors are to equip the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. This is what the Word of God is intended to accomplish. It's to equip us. It's to strengthen us. It's to, through the exhortation of the Word, you be equipped so that then you may in turn minister to others. The pastor elder must feed and equip the saints. Finally, pastor elders are responsible to shepherd souls. We're to shepherd souls I'm going to go back over to First Peter chapter 5 one more time. And I know we've been bouncing around today, but these are important texts. First Peter chapter 5. I'm, I'm just going to read verses 2 and 3 for us as, as Peter is addressing the elders. He says to them, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Pastor elders are to shepherd the flock. The idea speaks of a, think of a shepherd, a literal shepherd tending for literal sheep and caring for them and making sure they have food, making sure they have water, making sure that their needs are met and, and t- tending them. Well, Apply that in a spiritual sense for pastors as they're to shepherd the flock of God and tending to their spiritual needs. And notice what he says about how this, what the shepherding is supposed to look like. He says it's not under compulsion. All right, pastors shouldn't have this begrudging attitude towards tending their flock. Like, oh, man, I can't believe I have to deal with these people, you know, I was I've had conversations with 
seminary students who are training to be pastors and expressing how they just, they don't plan on doing things like hospital calls. They don't, they don't want to be bothered by doing stuff like that. It's like, guys, you're supposed to shepherd your people. Why would you not seek to, to do this? And, and so, really, in, in, biblically speaking, an individual probably wasn't qualified to be in that position because he would have been begrudgingly offering that kind of ministry. We're called to do so, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. A pastor elder should desire to be a shepherd, should desire to care for others and not have a hesitancy or a a begrudging attitude towards the responsibility. Peter goes on to say it's not to do so for shameful gain. There are so many so-called pastors out there that, that seem to be in the game, so to speak, to make money, to get rich, to enrich themselves. And you just turn on TBN, on TV, and you see it all over the place. They fleece the flock. They milk every last cent out of their people and enrich themselves. Peter says it's shameful. It is shameful to see seeking to shepherd a flock for the sake of shameful gain. Shepherds should not be seeking to be get rich, but rather to be doing what they're doing eagerly. They should be eager to serve, eager to give themselves. As, as Paul says in different places, for your sake I am poured out for you. I'm, I'm spending and being spent for your sake. And finally, Peter says, as they lead, they should not be domineering. It has the idea of forcing others to submit to you because, by golly, I'm the pastor and you're going to do what I have to say. No. No, it's not to domineer over those in your charge, but, but be examples to the flock. Have servant leadership. Lead by example. Shepherd the flock of God. There are other texts that we could examine that would reinforce these ideas about what a pastor elder, plurality of pastor elders, are supposed to do for their church. For the sake of time, that's where we will stop today. Pastor elders are to shepherd the souls of the flock, they are to feed and equip the saints, and they are to guard the flock against outside attack. One last thing I want to highlight for us, you know, in our core values, we have the value of life-on-life discipleship, and it has two sub-points, and the second sub-point says this, we intentionally invest in developing leaders for the home and the church. We intentionally invest in developing leaders for the home and for the church. My prayer and my desire is that one day we would see additional godly men raised up in Pillar Fellowship to lead, to feed, to guard, to shepherd this flock for the glory of God that we would lead by example, and that we would show forth a good example of good works, show forth what a good example of, of reaching out to our community looks like 
so that through the ministry, as, as the saints are equipped for the work of the ministry with and to for one another and also out into the world, more would hear of the good news of the gospel of Christ, as our banner says, for the glory of God, that more would hear, believe, and follow after Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the things that we can learn from it. Lord, I pray for myself. Lord, I pray that as I seek to be a faithful shepherd, a faithful pastor, a faithful elder, a faithful overseer, that I would steward the responsibility that you have given me well, that I would lead by example, that I would not be domineering, that I would not serve begrudgingly, that that I would not be seeking shameful gain, but that I would humbly submit to the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Lord, I do pray that you would raise up more leaders within our body, Lord, that we would see more elders established for the sake of shepherding your people. Lord, I pray that you would guard us against ever installing an individual either just because we overlooked things or if through our own ignorance or through our own willful covering our eyes for the sake of just having more elders, that we would never be in a position where we're so desperate for plurality that we ignore qualifications. Guard us against installing unqualified men. But Lord, give us the wisdom and the strength that we need to to see godly men raised up to equip or men, for the sake of serving in this capacity, for the betterment of your church, and for the furtherance of your glory. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.